Hey everyone, my name is Mark Robertson. I'm a mortgage guy here in San Diego, and one of my favorite things uh, is the people that I meet. And today, I've got a client that I met probably 10 or 11 years ago, uh, and we just became great friends, and we've championed each other and uh, given each other a lot of advice along the way and watched each other's career, rooted for each other, uh, and, and have actually uh, commingled our networks a little bit and tried to help each other with clients. Um, uh, Tim Hutter uh, is with us today. Tim, thanks for being here, man. Thanks. <laughs> it's crazy reflecting back on the arc of our relationship. It is. You know, it's uh, it's funny. Just you meet people along the way, and and uh, you know, I, I I was referred to you by a real estate agent and uh, buying a house. And as I was just saying, now I you know call you all the time and probably <laughs> bug you too much for. Uh, <laughs> advice and uh, but it's good to be able to kind of work in the same general world and, and bounce ideas off one another and kind of get a sense for what you're seeing what I'm seeing and, and what our clients are doing so it's good yeah agreed man and I think it just serves both of our clients really well like I'm e equally grateful to have you uh, in uh, you know as a friend and as a colleague uh, as well, um, you know, just uh, I, I feel like my clients are better served, especially in the builder space. And for the listeners and the viewers out there that don't know, Tim is now a partner at Allen Mackins, uh, which is a giant real estate firm, uh, a, a giant law firm that represents real estate well. Um, and you specialize in what sort of real estate, Tim? So I'm a partner in our San Diego office. I also do a fair amount of work uh, out of Orange County office. And, and, you know, frankly, we go where the work is. So wherever clients call us, uh, I've got cases up in the Bay Area and LA. But um, a lot of what I do is real estate and uh, business development, uh, real estate development, business litigation. Um, and then I, I do a fair amount of sort of housing advocacy, whether that's, uh, I do a little bit of policy work, uh, working with uh, Building Industry Association here in San Diego. Um, I do a fair amount of advocacy for clients trying to get projects approved. Um, and then, you know, it's a difficult entitlement environment. So a lot of times what we see is, is if there's community opposition or if there are um, neighbors, uh, whether it's you know, mom and pop who live down the street, or whether it is uh, organized, you know, uh, union opposition, or even sometimes, you know, commercial rivals, uh, the guy who owns the, the, the apartment complex or the shopping center down the street who maybe not want that competition to move into the neighborhood. Those are all, you know, potential sources of opposition to projects. And so um, my job in and working with uh, my colleagues on, you know, on our land use team is to help clients get those projects approved and then keep those projects approved so working in tandem a lot of times with cities to make sure that you know the city decision is defended um, and stays intact wow got it so if <clears throat> to, to really oversimplify things when I want to go build a shopping mall or a house um, I'm going to bump into a lot of people who don't want that to happen um, whether it be from a policy perspective, so municipalities and governments who are like, hey, no, you can't build that here, <clears throat> or from neighbors and just single owners who are like, hey, you know, that's gonna bring traffic or, or whatever the, the downside is, you represent whoever wants to, to bring this thing to fruition and, and jumping through all those hurdles and trying to get, get it built. Is that a pretty good summation? Yeah, I think that's a good description. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. and the, the number of reasons why people, you know, um, oppose development are so uh, vast. I mean, you can pick any project and there's a new reason. Um, but a lot of it is grounded in um, sort of broadly environmental concerns. Uh, that includes traffic. That includes, you know, there's a huge emphasis right now on air quality and, and greenhouse gas emissions and climate control, you know, climate concerns, um, and, and a lot of jurisdictions are adopting what are called climate action plans where they're trying, especially here in California, obviously yeah. we're, you know, probably at the forefront of, of um, local governments trying to make an impact in, uh, in climate change and dealing with, you know, what, what the concerns are and the long-term goals for the cities and for the states, um, and that oftentimes, you know, drives uh, opposition and, and we're in this weird space right now um, with the change of how we use cars mm -hmm. and nobody really knows you know what where that's gonna look like headed. where yeah. that's headed you know the, the, we have um, 
you know, just so many companies that are out there doing autonomous vehicles and trying to figure out how do we make this work? Fleets, you know, drones, ride sharing, yeah, drones. Um, <laughs> you've got, you know, just all of those issues that are all kind of tied Man. up into real estate development and and planning. And um, so most of my work tends to be um, for residential projects. That's just kind of where I've I've ended up doing a lot. Um, housing right now is at the tip of everybody's tongue and and a real point of emphasis here in San Diego. Um, you know, California wide, we're at a huge deficit of the number of homes that we needed to be building over the last two decades or so. And, and because of these environmental concerns, because of economic concerns, um, the whole building industry got hit so hard during the recession, uh, as you know, uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, we're, we're, you know, literally trying to build our way out of it. Um, but we also live in a state where, you know, there's a lot of people that want to live in certain areas um, and certain areas that have been built out, um, you know, and, and towns where maybe, you know, we're here in Encinitas. This is, you know, a, a good example of kind of a, a beach town that has been developing slowly over the years. And there are definitely concerns from neighbors and uh, residents who say, Look, I, I moved here because, you know, I moved here in the 70s or the 60s or the 80s or whenever it was. And when I moved here, I moved here because I really liked the sort of sleepy, calm beach vibe that this town had. And now there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people who are moving to California every year. And there's a threat to my way of life and a threat to what I like about my place. Um, and that's a really hard thing to kind of judge for, yeah. for elected officials and, and for planners about, you know, kind of how do we do this? Because there are real uh, impacts coming from the state and, and um, impacts is the wrong word, edicts uh, and, and direction about how many houses, you know, how many housing units need to be built and need to be zoned for in um, each of these jurisdictions, local cities, counties, you know, um, you get these kind of regional planning districts that have responsibility for accommodating a certain number of units and we're just falling way short. So that's yeah. that's the real tension right now is you kind of have, um, how, how do we accommodate people and development and keep in mind the climate and, and you know the way of life that we have in California, especially in Southern California. Yeah, so talk to me about that. Uh, you know, I definitely wanted to hit on this. I saw us covering this later, but Sorry. It, no, we're, we're in it, right? Okay. And it, I, I feel like it's going to be really important, um, especially because I'm here in Encinitas. I, I, I do a lot of business here in Encinitas. Um, and I, I want to talk about it professionally for you and what's what that's meant and, and what you've dealt with. But before we go into that, just friend to friend, you know, for me... It seems like an incredibly complex problem uh, with with so many very valid concerns, um, and it's just a difficult um, a difficult a difficult issue. You have the state of California, as I understand it, who's mandating that a certain housing plan needs to be met, and there needs to be a certain amount of low income housing. You have a city in, in Encinitas, and I want you to correct me because it's just my layman understanding, but a city in Encinitas who had the foresight to see that the city was becoming more populated than they wanted per the description that you've just beautifully laid out, right? And, and put on the ballot, voted on the fact that they had to approve uh, basically the units that came in and development that came in, the people did, not the actual city, right? And they had a safety net in that. And now the state's saying, hey, you need this, this many units. You don't have that many units. Let's get it straight. And so when the people tried to get it straight, they couldn't. Then the municipality put something on the ballot, which didn't work. Um, and when I hear people's arguments or concerns, they seem very valid. You know, it's the, the neighbor next to me whose father bought that house that she grew up. Now she's in her 60s. Um, she, she has seen drastic, drastic changes, which are, are truly, if you talk to this woman, it's uncomfortable for her. It's not what anything that she wants. She doesn't, she doesn't have control over that. Yeah. Meanwhile... So many people want to live here, 
and uh, and there's an affordability problem uh, in a big way, and that is a real, real problem. You have a a city whose people are very frustrated, and you've got a, a municipality who's really frustrated, and you've got the state who's very frustrated, and I see you and I as as advocates. I think we are aligned in the fact that we're very pro housing, uh, but there there are people, and you can see the validity in their concerns here. And I feel like that's what makes this thing such a uh, just <laughs> a heated melting a lightning round. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, we've talked about this, but for for your viewers, um, you know, I. I have represented the Building Industry Association in two lawsuits against the city of Encinitas. So we are here sort of in uh, the, the hot, one of the hotbeds of, of this issue. Um, and the first lawsuit primarily related to um, a series of policies uh, relating to the, what's called the state's density bonus law. And, and this is kind of what I do, so this could get really wonky. So you just let me know when I get to I'll get into details. But yeah, for sure, yeah. But the the concept, basic concept of the state density bonus law, um, and it's required it, because it's a state law. It's required for cities to then implement it, and cities have the right and the ability, um, if they like it uh, or if they are tr if they want, to um, sort of double down or or improve the benefits of the state law. But the state sets a mandatory minimum threshold where if Developers meet certain certain uh, requirements, then cities have to give them certain benefits. And the basic concept for the state's density bonus law is, um, let's say you have a parcel, a, a piece of land, and it's zoned for 100 units. Okay, that's a pretty big parcel, but let's just the math is easier this way. Okay. So you've got 100 units. You want to do 10? Uh, no, 100 makes it makes okay. it easier, and I'll show got you why. It. I see where you're going. So so <laughs> it's 100 units base. A developer would come along and assume, that, assuming that they can do all of the things that are required to, you know, bring a project to life. Right? You, you've got to first get the financing to actually acquire it. You've got to be able. You've got to be the person who wins the deal in order. In other words, tying up the piece of property. You've got to be able to actually get it entitled to build those hundred units, or it has to be zoned properly for you to get the hundred units in the first place. Um, then obviously you've got all of the. Know, sort of post entitlement construction and all of those things that, that happen later. But the basic concept is you've got this piece of land, it's zoned for 100 units. The state says we don't have enough um, development of affordable housing. And when, when I say affordable housing, I mean like subsidized affordable housing at set income restricted levels where there is a government source of money that is coming in to pay for the subsidy. Um, and Typically, you know, that's in the form of Section 8. It's other kinds of uh, programs where you are actually able to provide those um, those offsets for, for government subsidized housing. But So big A affordable housing in the sense of it's income restricted. Um, the government can't build enough of it. There's not enough money. There's not enough resources for government to be able to build it all on its own. We haven't figured out, you know, as a government uh, and... You know, there's there's political questions about whether government should be responsible for creating housing in the first place. Mm -hmm. But as a state, we've decided, you know what, in order to accommodate all of our residents at all income levels, at all, you know, of, of all different communities, we need to be able to accommodate a certain amount of housing, and we want to do it in a particular way. And we just aren't able to reach those goals using government alone. So the whole concept for the density bonus law is let's incentivize private developers who would ordinarily take those 100 units and build them all at market rates, whatever they can rent them out to, um, without restrictions. Let's incentivize them to come in and, and out of those 100 units to build some of those as affordable housing. And so the state law says, and, and I'll give you kind of the most basic, but if, if you take 11% of your base number of units, so 11 units, you build those and make them affordable for people who make 50% of area median income or below. Okay. Um, so your area median income, I don't know what it is uh, local to Encinitas. I'll kind of say San Diego generally. Area median income for a family of four, uh, I think is right around 80 grand. Yeah, okay. I do too. <coughs> so 
so if you're talking uh, a family that's making or a household that's making 50% of that, we're talking about a family of four that's trying to live in San Diego for about 40, 40 grand. grand. Yeah. That's a tough, you know, living. And that's a, that it is hard to find housing that where you can afford that. Right. Um, and so the idea is you make it affordable for households like that, you get 11 of those units on the market. Um, in exchange for that, in order for the, de the private developer to be able to, to make those 11 units pencil, to, in order to, to offset the cost of what they're going to lose on those rents, we're going to make it a little bit easier to build. So you get some, re restriction, you get some reduced restrictions on development, uh, development standards. So sometimes it's height, sometimes it's setbacks, it's the you know size of your yards. It's the size of you know w w different restrictions that you kind of have to deal with as a developer are reduced because you are giving these eleven units as part of your your project. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you get is you get increased density, or you have the opportunity to take some increased density. So now under state law, you give those eleven units, you get thirty-five extra market rate units. So now your project, which was originally 100 units market rate, is now 135 total. It's 124 market rate, and it's 11 affordable. Okay. So it. the concept is, from a state perspective, um, and a lot of city, you know, cities are required to implement this. But the concept is, hey, you know, let's let's share in this together. Let's create some increased density, um, and developer, you're going to get some extra market rate units that are hopefully going to offset your costs. Um, and community, you're going to get these extra affordable units that are going to be available to people who ordinarily are having a hard time affording to live in your community. Okay. So the state says, hey, it's 100 units you can build, but if you give us 11 of these in low income, we'll let you build 124 total. That gives me, the builder, the incentive to have 24 market rate units, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm probably gonna make more money, so it's a win for me. Uh, and it's a win for the government because they get these affordable units that they would not have otherwise gotten any way, shape, or form on earth, right? Uh, you know, there are affordable housing developers out there. You and I work with them, and, and yep. they are, um, the sole development of affordable housing, you know, um, 100% affordable projects are very difficult to make work mm -hmm. because you have to use so many sources of funding. But now there are there are sources of funding that exist for that um, at the federal and state and even local levels. You know, I don't want to go down that right, rabbit hole. Right. I'm but, just yeah. trying to oversimplify yeah. for our listeners yeah. that that's the basic concept. Yeah. The idea is it's really so hard to build those projects. Now take us to why you sued Encinitas. <laughs> so um, <laughs> in 2014, uh, I think Encinitas became a place, uh, well, in, in the years leading up to 2014, um, Encinitas became a popular destination for these types of projects. Um, Encinitas is an attractive place to, to build because people like to live here. There's, you know, a good vibe to the town. You have a lot of, you have kind of five, five, right? Five uh, mini cities, if you will, mm -hmm. as far as neighborhoods. Um, where you've got really beach towns, you've got more rural, you've got you know kind of new Encinitas, you've got just these different areas, um, and and they've been targeted for development, um, infill development a lot of times, but also you know transitions in the city where you Encinitas used to be a town you know uh, where there were so many greenhouses and agricultural uses, um, and as that has become less uh, economical, I think and and other uses for that land have come up, a lot of new development has been happening in the city. And it's a city that, um, you know, has not kept up with its planning and zoning for increased density. Um, it's, it's a fairly, or it was, a fairly um, low density uh, zoning location. And if you wanted to get extra units onto a site, one of the main tools that you had available to you and your toolbox as a developer is to use the state density bonus law and to come in and say, okay, I want those extra 35 units and I'm willing to provide this affordable housing as part of that process. Got it. So um, as that became a tool and as certain projects drew attention, 
um, from neighbors or opposition from neighbors, um, there was a real sense of, you know, and I don't know whether it was a sense of uh, trying to take back control, as you, as you said. Uh, this is in 2014. The law that you were talking about, Proposition A, I would believe went into effect in 2012. So it was kind of a follow-on to that concept of we want to have a little bit more control over what's happening in our in our city, um, and so a group of residents, you know, were able to speak their mind to the city council at the time, um, and convince the city council to adopt a series of policies that were um, frankly harmful and threatened the viability of the state density bonus law. Um, and so the you know, Building Industry Association and developers who were working in the city of Encinitas at the time were really concerned about that because we were saying, you know, the state law uh, exists for a reason and the state has certain housing goals and, um, you know, Building Industry Association is made up of developers, builders, contractors, consultants, you know, everybody who's needed uh, lawyers, um, who, who are involved mortgage in the guys. process, mortgage people, you know, everybody who's involved in the process from the first time that you look at a piece of property all the way up until somebody moves in. Um, you've got kind of that range of interests in the Building Industry Association. And all of those people, uh, I think, or most of those people firmly believe that housing is a good and necessary thing. and. Mm -hmm and believe that we should be trying to house, build as much housing as we can in the, in the state of California, and um, both from a sense of that's how a lot of us make our living, but also because it's, you know, we are dramatically undersupplied, and that's shown in the, the cost of housing here. Mm -hmm. um, so in, the, in that tension, right, you have a city that is taking actions that are um, contrary to state law, um, and and you know the the in the course of those meetings there was some acknowledgement of hey there might be some risk, um, and uh, to the actions that we're taking, and so you know the the developers who had projects that were in the pipeline and other developers who were looking at the city of Encinitas and saying we don't really want this to become a trend, um, you know that we got together and and sued the city of Encinitas and for two reasons one to stop these policies and two because the city was you know, woefully out of date with um, what's required by state law, which is called a housing element as part of their general plan. So every city has a general plan that, that you know, again, to kind of keep it simple, generally plans out what development is going to look like in your city. Um, and that includes planning and zoning laws, and that includes, you know, um, certain, the rules of the road for development that are going to happen in your city. And part of that um, required in cycles is a housing element where you say, you take kind of your state mandate or your state allotment of units, it's called a RENA allocation or Regional Housing Needs Assessment, or HNA, um, and you try and figure out where in the city are, can we fit these units? Where are our potential opportunities for new development? And that's what city planning does? <laughs> yeah. That, so the city, each individual city is given a, um, an allotment of units uh, over yep. a, a period of time. And you know, we're, in, we're right coming up on the end of the current planning period, which was from 2013 to 2021. Um, so there's a lot of discussion happening right now uh, oh. locally about um, you know, the, the regional uh, group is called SANDAG. SANDAG gets a certain amount of units that are supposed to go into the San Diego region, and then SANDAG gives out those units to different, you know, uh, cities and, and to the county. And, you know, so uh, just yesterday there was in the news about uh, a move, at, or I think last week, about the allotment of units that were given to the city of Coronado. Really interesting place because you've got a tremendous naval presence, you've got huge naval bases, it's a really big tourist place, and it's pretty small. Uh, when you think about the amount of available land on, on, in the city of Coronado. Um, so you have just kind of this process of units being given out to all of these, uh, organ to all of these cities, um, and it's been, it happens over, an, uh, over a cycle, uh, like I said, it's, it's usually an eight-year cycle um, where these allocations are given, and you just have this process um, where, you know, historically maybe uh, the last few cycles there weren't really 
any penalties that were being given to cities. You know, there's some eligibility for, for state money where if you aren't meeting your rent allocations, if you aren't following the rules, you can lose that money. Um, Governor Newsom has really, you know, kind of put some teeth into that, and there's been some recent legislation that has made it um, more uh, compelling for cities to, you know, do their part and, and take their share. So. Okay, so I want to back up a little bit. Um, the way that I understand what you just said was, for two reasons, um, Insidious was behind, basically, on, on, on these uh, units. On their housing element, <coughs> yeah. And their housing plan. <coughs> But the other reason I didn't really get, um, so, so that was run, one reason, which was there wasn't enough units and builders had stuff in the pipeline. Um, and I think that they were probably expecting this and then worried that they weren't going to be able to get it, which I think is, is yeah, so scary. The, so but, the first part is, you're right, and, that, and the part I was just talking about is this housing element planning. Okay, got it. Where you have to go through a cycle, you know, and it's an eight-year cycle, then you fall, if you fall behind that, it becomes a four-year cycle, you sort of go into the penalty got it. box. And, got it, got it. Um, and that was something where the city knew that they were behind. Got it. Um, the, the more, you know, pressing reason in 2014 was the city took these actions to restrict the state density bonus law and restrict the application of it in the city. And so with those two things combined, the BIA filed a lawsuit um, and we, we sued the city uh, basically saying, you're already way behind on your housing, and now you're doing these things that are making it even harder for you to meet, you know, your your state housing goals and to follow state law. So it it, it was kind of in that initial instance, um, a, a a conflict of state law versus local authority, mm -hmm. um, and pretty quickly I think you know the uh, public record the. The city settled that lawsuit um, and agreed to rescind those policies, um, and you know go through an update process so that they were complying with state law on the density bonus piece. So that was a big victory for you. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it was. Uh, I think a, a it was a really interesting case to work on uh, for me personally and professionally. It was um, something where I learned a lot and got a lot of exposure with. Um, you know, the BIA more broadly uh, got to work with a lot of clients and companies that I hadn't yeah. been exposed to before. Um, and, you know, it was a case that I, I did a lot of the work on and kind of the density bonus law became, you know, one of my areas of expertise. And frankly, you know, I had probably stumbled across it a couple times before 2014. But, you know, now it's something that I talk about almost every day in my career, which is you know, it's a weird thing from, from a career standpoint, right? Talking more generally about career development, um, where you just have this, you know, for you, maybe it's a client that walks in your door. For me, it's a case or, or an issue that comes yeah. up in a project where all of a sudden you can't predict how that's going to affect you. But it, you know, it was a real launching pad because the truth is in 2014, we were still coming out of the recession and there was a real, there wasn't yet this pressure on we're in a housing crisis housing so expensive. There was still a, a kind of release happening and people were still able to find deals and build housing um, in a different way than where we are right now in yeah. 2019 and where we are in the cycle. So in 2014, I would say, you know, it, the issues of affordable housing and inclusionary housing and the state versus city local tension, they, they weren't at the forefront yet. Yeah. Um, now it's hard to avoid them. Uh, mm -hmm. Now it's, you know, uh, and I realize I'm kind of living in that world, so I see it all the time, and I'm paying attention to the news stories that come up, but, um, you know, the, just this issue of housing affordability, the housing crisis, you know, it, it affects everything. It affects, mm -hmm. you know, how much, are, it interacts with people's student loans, and it interacts with how much, how big of a mortgage they can afford, and, and it interacts with, the you know. The title work, the insurance, the yeah. lumber. The uh, yeah, Depot, I mean like every on and on every and on. aspect of yeah. right, and if and and home building is typically one of the leading economic indicators for our national economy. Yeah, um, when when home building starts to take a dive and people aren't we aren't building more houses, people aren't buying more houses. That's kind of one of the indicators that something may be wrong. So you know the one thing I can't reconcile is where does it end, right? Because um, you know the citizens of Encinitas, just like the neighbor I told you, it's like, you know, 
just when they think, hey, we cannot handle another car on this road or, you know, eight stoplights that I've had to wait for. I, you know, this used to be a dirt road that I could cruise through. This is not what I signed up for, right? So if we keep adding units and adding units and adding units and adding units, which are desperately needed, right? At some point, it's like, okay, you know, like I've been to Hong Kong and it's like, it, it's high rise and it, you know, it, 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 yeah. it just keeps going. So in your mind, like, I'm sure you get asked that all the time, right? And, and I'm sure that was a huge point. I wasn't at any of these trials, but like, you know, it's just the first thing that comes to mind. So how do you personally reconcile that? And what are your thoughts around that? Um, you know, in, cause, cause look, you know, just playing devil's advocate, I, I can definitely, I think everyone would agree that there's, there's a, a housing crisis and a need for, um, for more units. But it's also, uh, I can appreciate uh, the other side of that, which is just like, hey, we don't wanna be totally over, overrun with traffic and units and cars and you know, that sort of thing too. And so educate me a little bit on, on that perspective and, and that fear. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, um you know, we're kind of in this uh, era right now where, especially, like I said, because I deal with it every day, um, there's there's new terms being developed every day, right? So a sort of classic term in this world is a NIMBY, not in my backyard, mm-hmm. okay? So um, these are, you know, the, the no one actually, w- or very few people will, will say, Yes, I'm a NIMBY and I'm quite proud of it, right? <laughs> um, most people in today's world would say, um, yes, I understand all of the concerns. Yes, I understand housing is really expensive um, and that's unfortunate and we need to look for solutions to it. Um, and I support quality housing and, and new development. Um, I just want it to be in the right places uh, and, and my backyard happens to not be the right place. Okay, so that's sort of one perspective. Um, you know, the, the term NIMBY is one that is often thrown around in city council meetings and, you know, you sort of, it, it comes out of someone's mouth and then everyone's looking like, where are they? Who's the NIMBY? Like, right? <laughs> because no one wants to be labeled that way. You, on the flip side of things, you have a whole group of people now uh, and kind of a growing movement nationally um, called the YIMBYs, right? Yes, in my backyard. And it's a typically a younger, although not exclusively, a younger group of a cohort of people who are saying outwardly, yes, we need new development, right? We want um, walkable, dense communities. Um, I, you know, a lot of times, especially in San Diego, it is uh, tied in with, like I said, climate concerns um, and an idea of, hey, if we build infill, high-rise, dense, you know, or even mid-rise, dense community, uh, development um, in existing communities. So right, think of Hillcrest, Bankers Hill, uh, North Park, South Look Park, at, uh, Kensington. Carmel Valley, what they did with... Uh, one Paseo? One Paseo. Sure, so and One Paseo is a great example of where there was, you know, and this goes back years ago, um, and you know, full disclosure, my firm does a lot of work with Kilroy and, and represented Kilroy in that, right. in that process. Um, I had no idea about that. That's for okay. Our <laughs> yeah, um, but but the idea of one Paseo is a project that was you know taking what was a vacant piece of land in the middle of you know Delmar Heights, uh, mostly surrounded by um, office parks and you know there's housing on in one particular area uh, nearby, but it's right across the street from an existing and large and bustling shopping center. Um, the Delmar Highlands, and, and uh, so it was an area that was designed to be um, have you know apartment units, and it was going to have office, and it was going to have retail, and it was going to have it was going to be sort of your modern walkable. You can live in this place. You can work in you know the office building across the street. You can go to dinner down the street or in your you know in your building, and you never need to drive. Right? If you want to stay here and live here that's the whole concept. So that type of community and, and what happened with One Paseo was that it was uh, originally designed to be very dense and have a lot of people and a lot of development 
all coming into an area of Carmel Valley and you know depending on where your listeners are located some may not know but Carmel Valley is not an you know it's actually a fairly suburban area um, you know it, it bounds right up against Del Mar and Del Mar Heights is sort of on the eastern side of uh, the 5 freeway yep. if you go west of the 5 freeway it's mostly housing as you get towards the beach so it's a unique area um, and not uh, and the, the original vision for one Paseo um, I think was something that made uh, residents uncomfortable. It was an area where um, it made the neighboring landowner uncomfortable, um, the owner of the, the Delmar Highlands. Um, and so, you know, there was a, a lot of intense opposition through that process. Um, and what ended up, and you can go to it, you know, now, is a tremendous project. But I think that if you ask a lot of people around the community, um, you know, and especially you go there now and you're kind of looking at it and going, wow, it's, 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 if you know the history, you think to yourself, this could have been so much more. And it got scaled back because of this opposition and it got scaled back, especially in the number of housing units um, and, and in other components of it. Um, and that's just, you know, it, it's kind of a shame. I mean, mm-hmm. again, it's a terrific project um, and it's something that is a real crown jewel for the area now. Um, but I think that happens a lot more than people expect. Is that when well, we're, we're all afraid of the new, and we're all afraid of the change. That's the point that I was change. trying to make. Is that what what I'm trying to get to is where's the compromise here? Yeah. And I had no idea that you represented the client that you knew so much about that. What I was saying is that is a product <clears throat> that solves a lot of issues in my mind because I don't think the residential neighbors are other than traffic going to be too worried about the housing going in there i think your younger uh clients they you know i'm seeing younger clientele who are moving the housing market want that stuff they want to be they don't want to drive they want to work live at the same place they want to be able to walk someplace where there's stuff going on the idea i mean i I live downtown, I'm sorry, I, I work downtown, I used to live downtown when I was young and didn't have kids, but um, now I live in the suburbs 10 minutes away from where I grew up and 10 minutes away from where my wife grew up and we live in a, you know, a, a suburban development um, and I drive 35 minutes each way to work and that's just part of my existence of you know, living and, and wanting to be close to where my family is and where my wife's family is um, and the area where we grew up and just kind of having that traditional 35 minute commute. And yep. you know, I, I am, I'm a big proponent, we can to get on this topic later, but I'm a big proponent of autonomous cars and, and trying to figure out what is our commute gonna look like. I, we just bought our house in March and, and uh, you know, my wife was like, hey, do you have any concerns about, and how your, my commute probably got you know, seven or eight minutes longer. And I was like, honestly, I think that my current existence and my current commute is gonna be like this for five years or less. Yeah. And then it's going to change. Yep. And so, you know, we're going to live in this house for 30 years, hopefully. And, you know, I, I, my experience of what this is going to look like is going to be so dramatically different mm. for the majority of the time that we live in this house. Um, and that's, you know, I, I think a, a factor in all of this, and I keep coming back to what, you know, how, how different our world may look in five or 10 years. Um, but, but to answer kind of your underlying question, you know, I do think that what we have sometimes is, or what we need in the market is striation of options, right? We need to have options for people who want to live in a dense, walkable community um, where they don't need to own a car. And then we, want, we need to have options for people who want to live in the suburbs with a big yard and a dog and a bunch of kids and a minivan. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and then everywhere in between, right? Yep. Um, because, you know, even not even necessarily talking about a, a walkable community like one Paseo, but even just looking at, you know, our cities and our downtown region, um, you know, not everybody wants to live in a 40 story high rise, but a lot of people do, yeah. at least for a period of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to figure out, uh, you know, how do we, there, there's been a lot of, of, you know, not a lot of 40 story, but a lot of, um, you know, eight, 10, 15 story you know, buildings that have gone up in this cycle of uh, apartment buildings that have been built in downtown. Um, and, and part of the struggle has been the 
despite the number of units that have been built, you still have seen rents just inch up and up and up. Yeah. And and part of the reason for that is that you know as as more and more people kind of came out of the recession, moved out of living at home with their parents, or you know started their new households, um, you had a lot of people who were looking for housing. And when housing is scarce, you have price increases. And so that's that's the tension I think is that. Um, and and there is a there is it's not always always age based but sometimes there is a tension between people who have been living at a house that they bought 20 years ago, locked in that mortgage, locked in those property taxes, are not feeling the burn of the housing affordability crisis in the same way that people who just got out of college are, mm-hmm. and that's a real you know that's a that's a problem um, because it's almost like you're speaking two languages right trying to explain to somebody what it's like, hey, I, I just got this job out of college, I'm making you know, 50 grand a year, and my rent for my you know, one bedroom apartment is two grand a month. Now I'm spending $24,000 a year after taxes, right, in after tax dollars, to afford my house, and that's you know, probably more than 50% of what I make um, in after tax dollars. Oh, Explaining that, idea to somebody who is living in the suburbs or living in Encinitas in a house that they bought 30 years ago where their mortgage is gone. Go- either gone or is a thousand bucks a month. Yep. That's, those are two different conversations. Yeah. You know, and that's not just Encinitas, that's Rancher Bernardo, yep. it's you know, um, Scripps Ranch. It's, there's, pl- there's places like that all over the place where, and, and, and you know, some of it is your, your sort of uh, you know my parents' generation, and and even people who are in their 40s and 50s, who are, who have planned right and saved their money, and you know, um, paid down their mortgage, made that extra payment every month or every year, like whatever it is, and so now they're sitting in a place where they have housing and they don't understand necessarily the crunch, mm-hmm. um, and I think that creates a lot of the tension of saying, well, we have a lot of housing. And and if if you've lived in San Diego, you know for 30 years, you've seen a huge evolution of what does it look like? What does the five freeway look like? What does the 15 look like? You know, we had to build the 56 because of so much traffic going through Carmel Valley and all the new housing development. Um, and so there is really this concept of like, when is enough enough? Um, and and that question I think is being asked a lot by people who are not necessarily it's experiencing the day-to-day you know impact of mm. the housing affordability crisis and you know there there are people and and this is kind of the taboo topic but there are certainly people out there who would say um, you know uh, Encinitas is a really beautiful place to live or let's pick you know Solana Beach or Del Mar right yeah we're picking D- a lot don't, on Encinitas don't, don't yeah <laughs> um, and, and I, I some of my best friends, some of my coworkers, you know, some of my partners live in Encinitas, um, and and I am too. a very yeah. proud I, resident yeah, of Encinitas. You, <laughs> so, like, um, but you know, pick a coastal city, right? And and all, all of the coastal cities and um, have this issue, uh, you know, Del Mar, Solana Beach, right? Um, La Jolla, right? Uh, La Jolla is kind of in a unique situation because they're not their own city; they're under the city of a San Diego umbrella. But you know. Uh, let, let's say Solana Beach, right? There are people out there who would say um, Solana Beach is a really great small city that only exists, you know, in this area where it is naturally very attractive to live, and there is a limited amount of land, and a lot of it is already built out, and so it is by its very nature going to be an expensive place to live. We, I can, we just I, can't. I'm one of those people. I, right. I, I just think fundamentally. Anything. I don't care if you're talking yeah. real estate. Anything. If it's scarce, it costs more. Well, so here, here's the, the the second part of that statement, which I think fewer people would sign on to, um, but some people, you know, I think I think are out there saying it, is, and as a result of that, Solana Beach, or Carlsbad or whatever it is, is not the ideal place for the state to be telling us that we need to put it affordable housing. Mm. There's a scarcity in the amount of land, and if it's difficult and expensive to to move here and own here, we shouldn't have that obligation in the same way that other places do. 
Yeah. That you know, if if we have a housing affordability crisis and if we have state mandates for affordable housing, you know, and again, I don't necessarily ascribe to this view, but there there certainly is a view of I'm sorry, but if you can't afford to buy the house with a you know or to to live in the the building right. with a view of the beach, you don't get to live there. Yeah. That's, um, that's not the law, right? Right, that's not the law, and, and that's the tension. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to the fact that I think it's a very hard problem to solve because you have very valid, uh, you know, concerns. I, I actually was at a city council meeting. I actually called you beforehand um, because we were trying to get <coughs> a school approved here in the city of Encinitas, and I have to tell you I was... Uh, I have made judgments as a human being and a resident of Encinitas about different things that, you know, were going on. And I was not educated. Like, I could not believe what went into that process. Um, and I, I think the understanding would be so much better if people really knew from the second you buy a piece of land to trying to get anything built, um, how, you know, what that process really entails and what you actually have to go through <clears throat> to get something done. I mean, I figure like, you know, this is my industry. I'm way more versed than most, but it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and I feel like that's, cause, cause I don't, I mean, honestly, if I wasn't doing it, Tim, I'm just calling a spade a spade. I wouldn't care to really understand it. I would just continue to judge <laughs> and, and say, Hey, not in my backyard or yes, in my backyard based on what I knew. Right. But once you go through that process, whoo, unbelievable amount of respect. And it's, it's, it's no wonder that you're so successful and that you've got job security and because it's, it's absolutely unbelievable how complex it is. I just feel like that yeah, people I'm, don't understand that. What, what's, um, there was a New York Times article probably like two weeks ago and I think the headline was something along the lines of, um, why has developer become a dirty word in today's world, right? Like, and we were having this conversation at a meeting I was at this morning that, you know, um, among the list of professions out there, if you introduce some, yourself to somebody at a, at a cocktail party, like, there's like, Lawyers who get a lot of you know crap for our profession and, and develop you know yeah no everybody <laughs> bankers generally but but not mortgage guys um, but you know lawyers and now developers are have acquired this you know there's like this response of like oh you're trying to change you know change my neighborhood or you're trying and and the it's a perception problem in some ways of and and it, what I think it flows from is. Um, you know, when you even when you have this this discussion about affordable housing and about the cost of housing um, in California, because people don't understand the process of what it takes from the minute that you first identify a piece of property, in in even going into how much it's going to cost to buy it, right? The, the purchase price for the land, and then what are all the hoops that you have to jump through uh, in times in terms of environmental analysis and consultants that you have to hire and lawyers that you have to hire. And you know, sometimes it involves uh, individual meetings with each of the city council members or each of the planning commissioners to help them understand. Okay, this is this is what used to be on this land. This is what we're proposing to do with it. This is why we think it follows all of the rules, um, or this is why we think that the rules should be changed slightly to allow this this use to come in. Um, you know, that process is immensely expensive. So there was a, a Point Loma Nazarene study that came out a few years ago, and now it's kind of uh, it's probably getting a little bit old in terms of its data, but it found that in California and in San Diego, uh, particularly, that about 40% of the cost of a new house was attributable to regulation. So the idea of working through that process and trying to, you know, that that front end of of a development project, um, the number of people who are putting their heart and soul into it and then the number of people who are putting serious dollars into it in order to make uh, a project come out of the ground is kind of the missing, you know, misunderstood piece of, of yeah. the development world. Being in San Diego, um, being in a place where people are really excited to live here. You know, I was at a meeting up in San Francisco last week 
and um, started talking to this guy who I literally never met. He's we, we were just kind of making small talk over lunch, and he goes, and he's and he has British accent, and, and uh, he goes, so where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And I said, oh, I'm from San Diego. You Can know, you do that in a British accent? No, I can't. My <laughs> wife would kill me. Um, and uh, and and he goes. He goes, oh, San Diego, greatest place in, place in the world. <laughs> like, completely, right? This yeah, guy, unsolicited. Yeah, completely like, unsolicited. He's like, yeah, it's fantastic. It really I wish is I could amazing. live there. Yeah. Right? And and it's just one That's of those why things I just, where... I, Tim, I don't think the housing crisis is, is ever... It's going to get worse. And I and I do think prices are... I, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, right? But I see so much demand, and the jobs here are so good, especially biotech, defense, uh, real estate, uh, you know, we've just got great jobs, and they're not making any more of all day long, seventy-three degree weather. Um, and that, but but where I think we're starting to see it is right now. We still have, uh, and I think San Diego is doing a better job of promoting itself as like we have so many smart people being churned out by our universities here. And we have a lot of really educated people who want to live here and stay here. Um, that San Diego being a an option as sort of Silicon Valley South, right? And you've got Silicon Beach in in uh, LA already. But but the idea of tech companies coming to San Diego, and we're starting to see it more. I mean, I think Amazon has done an expansion, and and there's other companies that are, you know, taking office space um, here here in San Diego. We're still sort of in that realm in part because the Bay Area is so expensive that even though we are clients a week coming down from the Bay Area, I mean it's it's like they think it's the best thing ever. Oh yeah, well I I hired a guy in our office and you know he's of my age but but worked in between college and law school and uh, lives in Encinitas and and he and his wife sold a place up in the Bay Area and they moved down here and they were looking at renting for a little while and and. you know, and we were talking about just kind of housing prices and when I was going through my process and he told me how much he sold his house for up in uh, the Bay Area and it was like, you know, you could buy an acre in Rancho Santa Fe for what they sold their, you know, place up in in uh, the Bay Area for and, you know, that's just the way of life for them up there, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think there is still this, we have this uh, amount of room to grow, we have this runway still where our affordability crisis hasn't gotten as bad as theirs. Mm-hmm. And so um, assuming that our job growth can continue, and I think that you know that the Regional Chamber of Commerce is doing a good job and the San Diego EDC, and there's, there's these groups out there that have started to kind of, and, and this includes you know, some of our local companies, right? Qualcomm is big on this. They're starting to pay attention to housing affordability as a jobs problem where if we get to the point that they're at in the Bay Area, we're gonna lose all those people. The people who wanna live here and like San Diego are gonna move to Austin, or they're gonna move to Raleigh-Durham, or they're gonna move you know, wherever the, the next place is for that kind of you know, knowledge and, and high-tech uh, job growth. We won't always be the place that, that has that runway. It's interesting to kind of see, I think the latest forecast was just released last week uh, or in in early August and and the idea was, hey, um, you know, there's still kind of guarded optimism Mm -hmm. for the very same reasons that you say, like, well, nothing's getting, you know, things are not dramatically getting worse. It's hard to see where the the market fundamentals are going to get, are going to switch overnight. But well, there's was, still kind of a downtrend in, in general optimism. Yeah, I was looking at data and like out of the past seven recessions, I think prices went up four of those times, like housing prices did. Um, you know, the last one was horrible. Right. The Great Depression was horrible. Uh, the 90s recession, it went down, I think. But I was pretty surprised. Because as a buyer, if I think that that's eminent, I'm probably going to hang on and just see what happens, just just in case. Well, and rates generation? have gone down, interest rates have gone down a minimum of five eighths percent. So if I'm locking people now at three and three quarters or three and seven eighths, and it goes down five eighths a percent, that's 
three and a quarter, three and an eighth, 30 year fixed money. We've never seen that before. So what does that do to affordability? Because we've already talked about demand in San Diego. So it's, it's interesting to see how it plays out. And again, I think this will come back to jobs. And the jobs that we have here, defense is not gonna go away. Biotech is gonna continue to be successful. Um, you know, there's a lot of real estate. So I don't know, I, you know, it, I, I think that's, that's anybody's guess. And I hate, you know, speculating on that. Um, but I, I do think that there's a, there's a chance that prices could actually go up and we could have a pretty sustained, except that the normal consumer, I think, is just going to err on the side of caution and, and stay on the sideline. I mean, you, uh, you and I had this conversation in October. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> totally. Like, uh, Mark helped me buy a house seven years ago, um, right before my first kid was born. And um, we, so we bought, we bought in March of uh, 2012. Um, and since that time, uh, I've n I now have four kids. So I'm on, I'm on the express lane. Um, so I have a seven-year-old little boy, Colton, who was born first, and then my daughter's five. I have another little boy who's two and a half, and then, um, and then our youngest is four months old. Great. So when our, when our four-month-old was on the way, right, in October last year, we came and sat in your office, my wife and I, and said, what do you think? Right? Like... And it was, I think, right after you had actually hosted a presentation where I think that chart was up there. And I had literally gone home and been like, maybe we should buy a new house, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know, Mark says that, because that, uh, um, I think my generation in particular, um, and I'm, I'm 34, um, and, and kind of really got spooked by the recession Me and too, by the yeah. impact on um, housing prices and, and people's, you know, including my family's, you know, um, your, your personal wealth or your ability to build, build equity in your home uh, is so driven by housing. I mean, mm. I th it's the biggest investment that people make um, for the most part. And, and, you know, so the idea of, okay, I bought my house seven years ago. I basically, you know, bought at the bottom of the market um, and did well on that investment, right? And, and have seen an, some appreciation and been able to get to a point where like, okay, I can comfortably afford my mortgage payment and I feel good about it. But then it was a house that we were outgrowing and we were having that kind of conversation about, well, what are we gonna do, right? Like, luckily I make more money now than I did seven years ago. So it's a different- Congratulations, I'm really proud on you, yeah. uh, of you on um, making partner, anyway. Yeah, uh, so going. I made partner last year and that was a, another factor in it, but you know, I, I don't recommend right like having a new job and then going out immediately and <laughs> trying to buy a new house. But sometimes uh, God's timing is different than ours, and and you know we were having another kid and we decided uh, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Um, but you know having that kind of background of of thinking on the one hand, wow, this is really scary. Of you know if we move right now, we bought at the bottom of the market and we could be moving at, at the top of the market. Um, and, and just kind of having to have that conversation at home and be like, well, the reality is we're, you know, we bought this house before knowing that it was going to be a five to 10 year house and that we were going to move and that we were going to have a family. Um, probably not expecting that we were going to have four kids in seven years, but, um, <laughs> and, and now, you know, it was okay. Now we're buying a house for 30 years. Uh, if you ask my wife, she's never moving out of our house. She's yeah. going to be buried in the backyard. Wouldn't either. That backyard's so, amazing. Um, so now it's it's a different conversation, and and to your sort of long term comment, right? Like, okay, Tim, I know you're afraid and you're risk averse, and you don't want to make this kind of mistake, but don't think about what's going to happen over the next five years as you buy your house. Think about what's going to happen to your house and the value that you're going to have in it if you buy your house now, and how much it's going to be worth in 35 years or whatever it may be, right? Yeah. Or the idea of if you wait a couple more years. You don't know what's going to happen, yeah. right? And and on the the curve that we've been on in terms of prices, it could get worse or it could get better, and yeah. you just don't know. So, I mean, we took that leap, um, and yeah. and you know, by the same token, kind of had to have a, a, a conversation last fall about kind of what was happening with the rates and and what was happening with the housing market, and um, you know. 
true. So about your career, Tim, uh, you have I've watched you like from seven years ago um, and, and to now, and making partner. I remember rooting so hard for you when we were having conversations and that all was going on. But how much of that do you think uh, plays into the biz dev side? Because my my observation of you, uh, and I want to compliment you for this, is that uh, you're are just extremely knowledgeable and easy to talk to regardless of uh, you know which side of the fence people are on. And I feel like when I see you at events, uh, I see the respect that people have for you and how many people you know. And so I feel like that biz dev side of it suits you well. And I think a lot of people, especially with the attorney game, don't understand that bringing clients on uh, is sometimes just as good of a skill as actually being the most fierce litigator. Uh, and, and there are some people who are very good at you know litigation but terrible at biz dev and, and vice versa. So just out of my own curiosity, um, how well has that served you in your, in your career? You know, it's, um, I've been lucky because a <coughs> um, whole, whole other long story that we don't need to get into, but I, I was a summer associate at a different law firm uh, in the summer of 08 and um, got a job offer. The way that law firms work is you, you summer after your second year, and then you go back for your third year of law school, then you take the bar, and then you usually go back to the law firm where you were a summer associate. Um, between when I was a summer associate and when I uh, graduated, the market crashed in the fall of 08. Uh, law firms started were affected just like every other, other, every other business. And so the group of people or a group of people that I was gonna work with at my old law firm switched law firms. And I went from having a job to not having one and then all of a sudden having one again because that group of people called me up you know, out of the blue and basically said, hey, you wanna come in? Um, and, and the rest is history, but um, finding my place at Alan Mackins um, has, was a real blessing to me, um, not just because all of a sudden I had a job when I didn't have one and, and was in a, it was in a really terrible job market, um, but also because of the sort of, I think, the, the culture of what the firm presents and, and the way that the firm really encourages um, you know, kind of what I was talking about earlier in terms of an investment of yourself into not only your community, but also your profession and your industry. Um, but for me, you know, kind of being able to build a network and, and understanding that, um, you know, you never know who is going to have the, the next connection to the next case. Yeah. Um, it's been really good, you know, I yeah. think, and I think done well at that. it's, um, I'm, I'm always willing to have a conversation with people and, and I do a lot. I mean, I think I actually learned this from you and, and give you credit is, is, you know, being willing to talk to somebody about whatever their issue is and your expertise in, in, in mortgages is, you know, really valuable in a tumultuous time like this. Yeah. And, and you know, so being willing to spend five or ten minutes out of a day that is jam-packed um, that will, you know, sometimes, it, it, a lot of times, come back to you, right? Yeah. Where you're, you spend that five or ten minutes and you're like, okay, you know, to me, that five or ten minutes was something where I could have been doing something else for a client or whatever it was, but to that person who really needed your advice that day, um, you know, that, that, that's something they remember. And yeah. then the next time that they, that they, somebody calls them and says, hey, do you know anybody who needs, you know, who knows a lot about mortgages? Um, but just, you know, it, it uh, I think that, the support that I have um, in at work and at home and and from my family and friends is really you know is is something that I'm I'm very proud of and and I definitely think that sometimes I'm pulled in a lot of directions or sometimes I'm going in a lot of directions even if I'm not being pulled and um, a lot of what I do is you know driven by support that I have from other people yeah mostly my wife yeah so. she's awesome you guys are awesome. Well, thanks, man. I, I want to say thank you for uh, your friendship, your loyalty through the years, uh, just, you know, how well you conduct yourself. You know, you're uh, a man of integrity for sure. And, um, Appreciate that. And it shows, man, uh, you know, everyone that I know that knows you um, and, it, and how our lives have, have bumped into each other so many times. Um, it's just a privilege to have you in my life. And um, 
I appreciate all the guidance that, that you've given me and I'm super proud of you, man. You know, um, just, it, you know, one of the joys for me is, is watching when you meet someone by their first house, very scared seven years ago and, you know, the accomplishments that, that you've made both personally and professionally through the years. Um, and I feel like it's, it's, it's not said enough, you know, that I'm really proud and I'm proud to call you a friend. I'm proud of the progress you've made. I'm proud of, you know, the way, uh, you and your wife love one another. Uh, it's great. And I feel like as a society, we just don't say that stuff enough. So, uh, I, I wanted to let you know that publicly and, and I'm super stoked to have you in my life. Thanks for being here so much. Guys, if you have enjoyed today, and even if you haven't, I'm sure some of you uh, probably <laughs> didn't, uh, feel free to, to uh, we'll, we'll tag Tim when we, we put this out. Feel free to uh, make some comments in the show notes. And uh, uh, thanks so much for listening. Cheers. Thanks, guys.